this is Chris Angeles, and this is also Right at the Fork. And our guest today is Eric Finley from CHOP. And Eric is well-known in the Portland food community. He is a, uh, one, of our, one of our best butchers and uh, makes some of the best salami that you're going to find. You'll find him also at the farmer's market. Uh, he started working in kitchens at 16. He's held just about every job that there can be uh, in the food industry. He's been a chef, a sous chef, grill cook, saute, dishwasher, uh, and then he opened up uh, Chop. Uh, well, he's been a butcher for nine years, um, and he's been at the city market for, for that long as well. Uh, and in my mind, the place to go to get deli meat is Chop at the city market. Um, and he had a retail store right behind Tasty and Sons for a few years. Uh, closed that so he could spend some time being a father. And so we're going to talk to him about that today and uh, his view on the world and baseball, Eric Finley. Well, hey. Hey. Haven't seen you in a while. Is the uh, outfit color coordinated to match the Dodger cap? No, it was the only thing that was left on, uh, that was clean this morning. We're, I'm going to Seattle right I'm glad that it was at least clean. Usually, yeah. to me, for me, often it's the le- the cleanest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. What do you got going in Seattle this afternoon? Uh, my mom is uh, going through radiation right now, so we're gonna we're gonna go up there and surprise her. So should be cool. She wants to see her grandson really bad. So. Yeah. And I'm sorry to hear that. <clears throat> oh no, it's fine. Um, and how old is your son? Uh, three years almost. Okay, so he. His birth coincided with opening May fourteenth, and we opened our shop on May fourteenth. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that must have been a, a little busy day for you. Uh, yeah, it was beyond. Yeah, I basically started from uh, zero and kind of worked my way up on it. Yeah, it was it was it was really good time, but really also just a really hectic time for yeah. sure. And it has it gotten less hectic. Oh, yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, once we closed the shop over on Williams, yeah, well, would... everything, we just simplified. I basically wanted to simplify my life completely, you know. So uh, that was the easiest thing that I could do to finally get rid of that that side of it, concentrate on doing salami and the butcher shop, and also concentrate on actually raising a son. I miss that. I used to like to stop in and, you know, your sandwiches are <laughs> fantastic. You had rare roast beef over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is hard to find, and we still have people that stop by occasionally, which is unfortunate. But like you know, we've been we've been closed for a year and three months over there. So I can't believe it's been that long. It feels yeah. like to me that the news just came because I was yeah I was bummed when I heard it. But I will say this: I'm going to say this before, so I don't forget. Mm-hmm. I'm one thing I'm a, a staunch lover of is rare roast beef, and you can't get it at New Seasons. You no. can't. You know they they don't even serve. But I've always the at the city market your shop up there that's where i know i can always get super rare roast beef it's, yeah it's, it's yeah it's best. good i mean we cook it pretty much every day so we blow through it that fast so yeah yeah that's great stuff so um i mentioned your color coordinated outfit yeah. i just wanted to ask you who's going to be the nlcs champion this year the giants or the mets uh, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think the giants have a shot in hell but we'll see. I hope Gabe doesn't hear that. I'm glad you didn't say that about the Mets. No, no, I wouldn't want to be rude. 
No, well, you could. It's baseball, and we were trash talking. I think anyway, what do we so. only have 159 games left, or something like that? So just a, no, 161. 161, fantastic. Right. Well, we already we already have three games in the bag. So oh, you do? Yeah, because we played in Australia for two days, oh, and those two right. games counted. And those counted. Yeah. I didn't catch them. How yeah. were those games? Uh, non. They weren't really all that exciting. They were they were fine. Well, was it cool to see it in a different stadium where they nope. weren't set up for it? No, not really. It, I mean, the cool thing was is that I guess it was the oldest. It's the oldest stadium that's ever that baseball has ever played in. Is this cricket, cricket stadium? I guess that was cool. Otherwise, I don't know. Bring it back to L.A. Bring it back to to America. So you know, I am out here in Portland as a result of doing cross country baseball trips with my sons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we did every every major league ballpark, and we raided the hot dogs back then. Yeah. And uh, interestingly enough, putting kind of marrying our two conversations, we thought the absolute worst hot dogs in the country were Dodger, at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Dodger dog. Uh, I think there was something that was just put out there a couple of days that that is the number one selling hot dog in every single baseball stadium. Which is insane. Insane, but you know we also our average you know uh, attendance I think is like forty six thousand. I think so, it's a result of yeah, that. It has yeah. nothing. And I, I, it's, I would bet if you did a. Um, just an index of hot dogs per against attendance. It's probably not as high, but maybe it is. I mean, Ugh. you know, may I don't know. <clears throat> Dodger Stadium at the time we were there wasn't set up like some of the new ballparks with all the food the opportunities that yeah. they have now. I mean, they just started at the Moda Center. They just caught on and brought in Finally, you know, right? Bunk and those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a horrible, horrible Farmer John hot dog. Yeah. Good. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that. Oh, that's why awful. I wanted to discuss they it. They look like E.T. fingers. You, you they're could, horrible. You could verify. We weren't just, you no. know, the three of us confirmed. And uh, I think the best one we had was either in Milwaukee or I really liked it in Denver. They had a like a uh, the upscale yeah. dog. Um, that was pretty good too. You can, so. you can get a good hot dog in the parking lot. That's usually, you know, it's a ghetto dog, which is, um, a turkey hot dog wrapped in bacon and they usually put some crema on there. Um, that's good. Yeah. But you know, they're cooking it out of shopping carts with propane. So what's so. the best hot dog you've ever had? Uh, my personal favorite is Sabret's. Um, I love it. I love the, the snap on it. Um, it's all beef. I don't know. Some about it. It's, it's that whole East coast thing. That on a hot dog, I think it's you know probably the best. Other than that, I would say probably Hebrew. Um, Hebrew National. I just think it's a good solid hot dog. There was a place in Connecticut that I frequented that had that would fry Sabret's hot dogs. Oh yeah, yeah. And Splitters. Yeah. Well, they didn't even split them. They would they would just put them in, and they would pop when you ate them. Just mm-hmm. and uh, called Swanky Franks. Oh, nice. Um, really great. So. All right, uh, and you don't make hot dogs. No, we do not. But you make. We, every, we have made hot dogs in the past. Oh, you have. Yeah. So how many different things do you make in a week? Oh God, I don't know. I mean, just at our USDA shop, a plant, all we do is make salami. But at our other butcher shop, we're looking at probably seven different types of pate on a weekly basis. Um, we uh, all the deli meats. We cure all of our own meats. We're making bacon um, plus all of our sausage. Uh, plus hot food, cold food, um, pretty much anything that we can fit into the case. So it's you and one other person? Uh, for making salami, it is. It's just me, and I have one employee, um, Mike Jennings, that's been with us for a while, um, and it's just him and I. We just produce 300 pounds of salami a day. It's it. Very small production. We do everything by hand. Hand crank everything. 
hand tie everything um, to this day. It's a so horrible 300 way to, pounds is, I guess that would be small production. It's what incredibly is it, just small. For, uh, just as a benchmark, what mm-hmm. does Olympic Provisions do? Oh, God, probably in the thousands. In the thousands. Yeah, okay. a day. Yeah, especially with their new facility. I'm, right, I'm and they're selling it nationwide. Yeah. Are you, yeah. where's your, do you go beyond Portland? We are beyond Portland, Seattle. I have some accounts in L.A., and we're, per, we're working right now with Whole Foods. That's my, that's my end goal right now is Whole Foods. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you'll be in, you're working on getting in Whole Foods here and then Portland and Seattle. Distribution beyond that as you go. Yeah. You know, what does it take to get into Whole Foods? How much work has that been for you? Like you're not doing enough already? No, I started nine months ago trying to get into there. So what we did was we took out the nitrates out of our salami. And so now we use a natural nitrate, which is celery powder and sea salt. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the first step. The second step was actually seeing if it's a product that they want, but I was in luck. They actually came after us. Um, And now the next step is pork, um, which we're working on really closely with Whole Foods. I've had nothing but great, great um, uh, help with Whole Foods throughout this entire thing. They really want to see us, you know, uh, succeed. Um, within their store, so I'm pretty pretty stoked about it. So, what do they do uh, for you to help you succeed with them? Well, they're they're they are finding us pork. They've already found us a farmer down in Hermiston, Oregon. Which um, the pork in Oregon, it's it's tough to get anything really local. I mean, you have Carlton Farms, but not all that pork is local. A lot of it comes up from Canada, Washington, Idaho, whatever anybody wants to think that local is. Um, and all the other small farmers that are out there are just really prohibitively expensive for the product that we're making right now. So they're actively going out there and trying to find new farmers that they can work directly with and actually get it for a cheaper price, considering that the price of pork has gone through the roof in the past two weeks. And why is that? Uh, from everything I read, a lot of it has to do with swine flu and, and a lot of it has to do with stuff up in Canada. So there's a lot of piglets that are getting sick. So they're trying to eradicate all these piglets and because pork is sold on the future and not on the pound, um, they're they're getting rid of all of this all these sick pigs, which is just causing everything to rise. So basically, if you put it in perspective, I've been paying right around a buck sixty nine to a buck eighty nine as far as my fluctuation goes in pork shoulder. Within one week, we went up to two twenty seven, which is not that's a, a lot, big percentage. That's a huge percentage, especially when I'm bringing in three hundred pounds. You know, it's an extra, you know, 300 bucks. So we've already seen pork prices raised by 40%, and hopefully it'll stabilize a little bit. Um, all the guys that I'm talking to, they think that it might, but I don't know. We're going to see. So this podcast we're recording actually April 1st. Yeah. So uh, by the time it, uh, it hits, the, uh, hits the ears of our listeners, uh, probably be a few weeks from now, mm-hmm. do you anticipate that? based on what you know and what you're following, that prices might come back down? Because it affects no. not only you. It really affects a lot of the restaurants in Portland because oh, it's th- gonna, they, they're very pork-centric here. Oh, no, well, it's not even pork. I mean, beef is going to go up through the roof, too. I mean, the amount of head of cattle that they're, that they're not doing a week is insane. You know, it's down by 50, 60, 100, 1,000 head, or 50 to 60,000 heads of cattle less that they're that they're doing right now. A lot of ranchers is just that aren't drought. Is that drought? Drought and a lot of ranchers, um, especially out in Oklahoma and Texas, just don't even want to do it. Because of what happened in the last two years, they've had every you know, you're you're buying this feed, you're feeding these cattle, and then 
if you don't have enough feed, you got to get rid of the cattle and you're not making anything. You're basically just throwing everything away for pennies. So a lot of these guys are just holding off. Just like we got to see if we're going to have any water or food for these cattle. So less cattle, I mean, it comes down to supply and demand. So what's it going to take in Portland? <laughs> well, no, I'm, there has to be some educating consumers yeah. and diners yeah. about this because you can't just raise prices. There needs no. to be almost a, uh, and is there an association out there for you guys to get together and say, we, we need to educate you as, as to why our prices are going to go up or we're going to go out of business and you won't even be able to eat at our establishment? No. Yes, there does need to be something out there. There's uh, Somebody has to write something about it sooner or later. The thing was is that it was such a shock that it happened within one week. And I was across the board from my pork supplier to Carlton to everything. Right it, within one week, everything went up. So I think that shock hasn't really even been felt yet. I mean, I'm still sitting on product now that I was paying less for, but within the next three weeks, I'm going to have to talk to my purveyors and be like, you know, I've already actually started the conversation the day that it happened with one of them. I'm like, I have to raise my prices. I, I just do. There's, I can't, I can't afford to sell it at the price that I'm selling because I'll be out of business, you know? And it, so some, it, the consumer at the end of the day is going to have to pay more, unfortunately. Fortunately, we still live in a country where it's still very inexpensive to eat. You know, we, well, we're, we're not in Europe. Right, but I heard I, in this conversation, I, I believe you were in on it with that Nick Zukin posted something about cost of pork. And oh, yeah. When yeah. he raised something from eight seventy five to nine twenty five, sales went down 50%. Yeah. So how, I don't know how that's going to work. I mean, I hope everybody listens to this podcast so they understand. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can have, you know, any writer, any publication write about it. That doesn't mean the market's going to hear about it or buy it. No. Fortunately for us, I think we're such a small company and we have constant communication with our customers at all time because we are so, you know, boutique-y. I'm out at the farmer's market personally every Saturday. So I get to talk to everybody. And we just started t- having that conversation this last week because we did. We, we had a couple of things that went up. We had a pork pate that we, we, we raised by a buck. And as people ask why, I told them straight up why. Um, and, we can, and we can communicate that with our customers at City Market as well. Um, people are either going to understand or they're not, you know, or else they're going to go down the road to, you know, Trader Joe's or or um, you but know, they're, Freddy's. They'll probably find the same thing. It's going to be up. I, I was at Freddy's last night looking at the meat, and it already went up. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess like gas, you know, we have to often step back and think, geez, we're not paying $8 a gallon. Yeah, it's just I think this is a rarity because it, it's never been seen in the industry ever. So um, I've looked at old invoices from when Fred Carla owned our butcher shop from, you know, 10, 11 years ago. Buck sixty nine for pork shoulder. We were paying a buck sixty nine two weeks ago. Right. That's how much it's raised throughout the years, you know. So to have it hit that hard that fast is like, ugh, put the brakes on. So how long do you wait? So you're gonna you are able to communicate with your customers, but yeah. I guess there's it's tough for a restaurateur because at some oh. point you gotta rate you gotta decide we're gonna raise. You usually don't come back once you raise yeah. prices. Yeah. So it's it's almost a waiting game to figure out. Uh, it really is, you know. And also for us, I mean, I think a lot of people have the connotation that we're one of the most expensive butcher shops in town anyways. So it's like, are we going to lose new customers by being literally the most expensive butcher shop in town now? I mean, I, I don't know. I think our core group, our core customers will um, totally understand. 
are supporters of, of CHOP, they'll, they'll understand. Yeah. And so mo- I would imagine, obviously, the people at the farmer's market and then those at city market, mm-hmm. they're... I would imagine it's not a lot of transients. There's a lot of you well, there a is, lot of it, loyal customers. There is in front of City Market, but not inside City Market. Yeah, when I was <laughs> discuss, I'm talking about the people who come in to order and uh, buy. And, no, no, no. You know, I mean, we're we're fortunate because you know we sit right at the West Hills, and a lot of our clientele, you know, have you know pretty good income. But we also have our whole thing since we bought it was to try to get more neighborhood people into our shop, and we've seen it. We have a lot younger clientele than we've ever had in there from people that just all the apartment dwellers that are in there a lot of people will go people from the hills no 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 you know we started seeing it um probably about four years ago when we would see young couples come in that were getting back from trader joe's but then would go to our butcher counter and buy a steak or buy a chicken breast for their girlfriend or buy some pate and then that was the only thing they would buy and then they would take off so we were like cool this is exactly what we wanted the one thing Chop never wanted to be was an elitist butcher shop by any means. So um, we really wanted to bring in um, the local apartment, you know, younger kind of generation to come in and actually support a, a, a neighborhood butcher shop. So how did you get to your butcher shop? I, I You've done almost everything in the food business, you know, front of the lot. house, back of the house. Yeah. Uh, and you went through the years, I guess, of working your way through. How did you end up where you are? Uh, to be honest with you, I got sick of working nights. Um, and I, I was working at Castagna at the time and just, I think it was burnout, you know. Um, I wanted to what get- What did you do at Castagna? I was a line cook. Mm-hmm. I was there for, how long was I there for? Three years. I did AM prep for a long time. Elias and I from Olympics worked side by side for like two and a half years. So, um, so did both of you, were you both on the line saying someday we're going to be just be making salon? No, never once. I don't think we ever discussed that. <laughs> I, I do know that the day that I told Elias that I, I got a job over at, at uh, Beyond back in the day, he was like, dude, I'm so jealous. Um, I, I wanted to get out of working nights and I wanted to specialize in, in stuff. I did some butchery um, when I was working in Hawaii. Um but not a lot of it. And I kind of saw that there was an actual future for charcuterie. It, it, the book had just started coming out and people were just kind of ta- starting to talk about it. And I'd done some pate work at Castagna and I thought, you know, like the pay is not that great, but it's a daytime gig. My wife was managing Paley's place at the time. Um, and I was like, the only way that we're ever going to have a life together by having a kid and a house and everything was that we're both going to have to transition to daytime. There's no way I'm, I'm raising a child while we're both working at night. So it was the best thing that I could possibly think of doing, still staying in the food industry, but actually really going in and specializing in something. So she's, your wife's name? Uh, Rebecca. Rebecca is at Lovely Tasty. Rebecca. So. Yeah, she's the um, manager over at Tasty. And so she's obviously she's still working nights, or is she no, not? You're no, both day all days. So what do you do during the day? Uh, daycare, or you have? Uh, I, we have. Uh, we have. She only works four days a week. Okay. Um, we have our, a nanny, which is my business partner's mother. Okay. Birgit. Yeah, well, that works um, pretty well. Yeah. It's, so we keep it all in the family, which is funny as well because she is also John Gorham's um, nanny as well for both of her. Or his daughters. As wow. Well. So, yeah, it's very incestuous. It's, well, it's like <laughs> all Portland. Portland. It's is. all very yeah. incestuous. And on top <laughs> of that, you had a, you had your retail shop right behind them. So Yeah, and that was, 
you know, one of the reasons why we did go in there was, well, number one, the rent was cheap. Um, the landlord pretty much threw the building at us. And um, we wanted to be right behind one of the most, you know, busiest restaurants, you know, that, that there was out there, which is Tasty and Son. Plus, my wife worked there. Plus, I have a great relationship with John. He's the guy who actually hired me at Vion back in the day. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm loyal to a fault, I guess. <laughs> John is a, uh, he's a, a great man. I mean, the, opening up his other restaurants, as he told me, were basically so he could do something with his employees and have yeah. a place for them to go. Absolutely. I mean, John's guys are extremely loyal to him. I, I will tell you this. Uh, John, um, Ben, Jason, and Dave uh, from uh, Lowerhurst, all completely loyal. All their all their employees are completely loyal to them. When I worked with all four of those guys, I absolutely love them. I, I love them to this day. Um, and I tried to have that that same kind of way going into owning a business. I mean, we had a butcher that was with us for you know four years. Um, my guy Mike was started on with us. He left for about a year and a half, and he came back. So yeah, I mean, we're I, I like that loyalty. So you mentioned John, Jason French. No, Jason Owens. Jason Owens. Yes. Oh, oh Jason yeah. Owens, Ben Dyer, well, I, and David Crackles. I thought so because John I, and Jason are good friends. I do friends, love Jason so thought, French yeah, too. Yeah, well, it's hard not to love <laughs> yes. Jason. So I just wanted you to clarify because I obviously I misunderstood. Um, so uh, recently um, you mentioned that you uh, put uh, you were looking for a new solemnist. And no, we. Uh, I, I won't go into it too much because I don't want to. Um, I don't want to offend anybody else that I've oh, uh, supposedly on. offended. Go ahead, and, it's Portland. Go ahead and I offend promise, everybody. I promised my wife I wouldn't. Um, oh, she th- she thought this might come up. Yeah, probably. Um, okay. So basically, what we did was I, Paula and I. Paula is the the since nineteen ninety four. There's only been three butchers that have ever worked at that counter at City Market. Three. Two of them are owners. Since 1994? 1994. Wow. Three. I want to know why. I really want to know why. Every time we've put out a job posting, we've maybe gotten a couple of female applicants that have come in. Most of the time, they weren't qualified. One of them was a model that had never been in the food industry before. So we want to know why. Is it just because they don't want to do it? Is it because... um, they don't know if they'll be able to work their way into it because it's supposedly a man's world in there. And it is, you know, I mean, butcher shops notoriously are um, kind of a macho thing to do. We don't run our shop that way. Um, I hate that old school mentality. That well, whole yeah, macho, this is 2014. It though. still there exists. Yeah. You know, it's it's sad, but it does. It still exists. Um But now you're seeing butcher shops down in L.A., Lindy Grundy, um, owned by two females. You have Avendando's in San Francisco, all owned by women. We We know that there are women out there that want to get into the field. And what we offered was we did not have a position available. We just wanted to bring in a, a woman one day a week just to apprentice. That's it. We pay a very, you know, minimum wage. We wanted somebody that was already working in the industry that way they could have one day off and basically a way to see, like, get your feet wet if this is something you're really interested in doing. Because I don't actually have any positions opening. We just happened to have, we happened to have a really good year last year and we got a couple extra dollars and we were like, maybe we can do something good with it. Meant by no means to piss off any of the white males in, in Portland, but I sure did a really good job at it. 
Well, so, you didn't know. You were trying to do. You're, you, you know, here, just, you, there's only one. There's one group of people that I cannot discriminate against. That is uh, overweight, white, balding males. Because I am one of them. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? You can, you can <laughs> do whatever you want. <laughs> well, one would think I could do whatever I want. My problem was is that once I put out there, I didn't. I honestly, once it went out there and I started hearing stuff, I'm like, I might get a lawsuit. And it's happened to one of my close friends just recently. I won't go into it, but they got sued for something that they had said in a posting. So so can you say, can you say it on the phone? Can you not? I guess you can't say it at all. No. Yeah. So what we did is we just pulled it off and we said, offer no longer stands. Done. Okay. We we will, but I won't be posting anything off right. of it. So I'll talk to Camus Davis, who we work with very closely, and see if she has anybody in mind. It, well, it's not going to be immediate, but, you know. And I'm sure if someone heard this right now, I'm you sure. wouldn't take the call. You know what was cool, though? We had that no. posting up for an hour and a half, and we got four resumes within an hour, the first hour. And every single one of them was qualified. So to me, that was the test was that was good enough for us, you know. So um, and every single but one you of those can't act on them. I'm not going to. Okay. Well, maybe someday when it doesn't have to do with that posting, it yes. can just happen. <laughs> sort of. Um, so um, obviously, by doing that, you're looking towards. You're looking in the past. You're also looking at the future, and I know. Um, you know, in the information you sent us, you wanted you indicated that you want to chop to represent the future of butchery. Well, what does that mean? Not really the future of butchery. I what I what I want there to be is I want there to be more butcher shops. I really do. And anything that I can do, whether it be myself, whether it be Paula, whether it be Camus Davis, that we can actually start bringing back the local butcher shop, I am all for. Is many, but like the guys from Old Salt, I think it's awesome. I think Cason's up on on um, on Denver, up in North Portland, is fantastic. I love the idea of opening up a small butcher shop again because everybody just buys their meat from from Freddy's or even from Whole Foods or you know from uh, um, New Seasons. I mean, it's fine, but there's something that is beautiful about. Um, about being a butcher because it's more about just cutting meat. You can actually have a conversation with your customer. Um, you you teach them how to cook. You teach them what to do properly with meat. And I think that's what a butcher is. It's more than just meat cutting. I think there's a lot of people out there that call themselves butchers, but I think that it it it's it just there's not that many people out there doing it. There's a lot of people trying, and I hope that they succeed. But, man, it is a rough way to go. Do you think, I mean, what you said to me, and I don't like to keep citing this, but it was a really uh, Portland attitude because, you know, we're, I'm from the East Coast mm -hmm. and I can't imagine someone saying I'm rooting for someone to open up businesses like mine, more like mine and, and compete. Well, uh, well, it grows. So the more, more that it grows, the more talent we have out there, the more, the more people are learning how to do something, learning a craft, and it just keeps on building and building and building. I don't, I mean, I don't really care about, um, I, I worry more about new seasons than I approaching on every single store that I've ever had. There's another one going right down the street on 21st Avenue on, in Raleigh. I'm more worried about them than I am worried about somebody opening up a small butcher shop, mm -hmm. you know? And I know that, you know, I've heard um, Bill the Butcher is planning an open seven, here in the city, good luck. I don't know. If that might be a little overkill, 
but um, I, I welcome it. I welcome it. The only thing that 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 um, having other people do it, I think it just makes everybody else better. You just work a little and bit. And it harder. draws attention to it. As Absolutely, well. and it's a craft. You know, I mean, just like anything, I, I am a I'm a huge patriot. I am. I, I believe that that America needs to get back into actually creating and building once again. I, you know, we've lost that. Instead of sitting at a cubicle, I, we need to start welding. We need to start building. We need to start fixing potholes. We need to start doing all of these things that we have stopped doing. And butchery is one of them. Cooking is one of them. I mean, cooking has gone to you know another realm than it was when I first started cooking. But... Um, uh, especially the art of butchery, I think it, it needs to come back. And I think there's a lot. There's so many people interested in it. Because I think you get to a point where cooking your entire life, you you get to a point where you either A, open up um, your own restaurant, or B, you just become somebody else's uh, chef. And either way, you're not going to be making any money. I mean, the only reason I went to culinary school is so I could become an executive chef in a hotel. It's just once I got out of culinary school, I just didn't want to cook anymore. So um, I think it's a great avenue for somebody who has been trained in, in food their entire life to do something different and make a really nice, honest living doing it. So do you see, are there, do you find uh, some of the graduates from OCI coming out and wanting to go into butchery? Or? I, I have, and not knocking uh, OCI by any means whatsoever. Or any culinary school. No, CIA, absolutely not. Anything. I, I think that, to be honest with you, if you're going to go to culinary school and you want to cook, I think you have to learn your chops, and I think you have to keep your head down for a couple of years and not say anything, not really even ask questions. Just do what you're told, keep your head down, and do it. And I think there's a lot of kids coming out nowadays that want to do literally everything within one year, and it just doesn't happen that way. I mean, I'm, I, th- I think I'm going to guess it's because they live in a world where they click and things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I'm not saying they. I do too now. Yeah. Um, but right. I think of that generation having two kids around that age, and I'm not, I'm not pointing at my kids at all, but mm-hmm. just having experienced that, um, you know, that uh, we're in a world of immediate gratification. Yeah, I, I started wor- washing dishes when I was 16, and I, you know, I slaved my ass off, you know, working and making shit wage, you know, 10 bucks. I think maybe, well, the most I ever made was in Hawaii, but that was union, but maybe 11 bucks tops. I mean, that's insane. And that's what dishwashers are still making. <laughs> yeah. Talk about the price of pork. Yeah. As a as a cook, as a as a valued, um, talented cook, $11 an hour. So, you know, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's tough. I But by doing that, you just keep your head down and become better and better and better. When we opened up um, our USDA facility, I was the only employee back there that made salami for one year total. So I literally produced 200, 300 pounds all by myself for one year. And the reason why I did that is because I wanted to make sure that for me personally, that number one, I could do it, physically do it. By the end of it, I was a wreck. Um, And then uh, number two, that I could make a product where somebody could come in and they start questioning me. I already have the answers for it. It's my product. You know what I mean? But it's something that I really feel proud about. And so, you know, now I, now it's time to pass the torch on to somebody else. And how are you going to do that? How's, the hell if I know. Yeah, well. I don't know. We'll see. That's not next week then. <laughs> no. So it's, it's down the road. No, but I think I, I have another goal in mind. So I once, I once I put those goals out there in my head, they always come to to happen. 
you know? Um, so I have another goal now just recently and we'll make that happen. So I don't know. Yeah. I'll eventually I'm going to need to stop making salami cause it'll kill me cause it's so just labor intensive. I'd like to get into teaching. Um, I've been doing classes with Camus and I absolutely love doing them. So, um, I think that might be the next road. We're just going to have to figure out exactly what we're going to do with that but i think it'll be cool look out in the next couple of years i'm sure with two smart minds yeah i think so it'll you'll find your place uh so what's your favorite if someone comes into uh someone comes down to the farmer's market what is your favorite product that you make um or what should they try to get the you know to to to, walk away with to say man that was insane say this is chop our chicken liver mousse is fantastic um uh, our, a couple of salamis that we make are fantastic. Uh, fennel salami, our Abruzzo, the Herbs Provence. We also make a curried salami, which is totally non-traditional, and people either love it or hate it. Um, but it's really nice. It's real buttery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's unique. I would probably say one of those. But then, you know, our pâtés switch out all the time, so it's ho- so hard to say. We usually have three that we bring all the time, and then the other three always switch out every week, depending on what's seasonal. So other than a sales opportunity... Farmer's Market, is that just in your heart? Because you've been doing it for a long time, and you're there every Saturday. Five years. Is it about connecting with, with the city? And uh, how much of how much – when you show up on Saturday morning, how much of that is important to you? You have to like people to do it, right? You couldn't do Absolutely. it. Absolutely, especially that that crowd. You know I mean? Dealing with, with City Market is one thing, but when you're at Farmer's Market, you're dealing with everybody in the city. So you got people from all walks of life. Um, it can be pretty intense. And, you know, for the first three years, I worked it entirely by myself, which was a stupid thing to do. But, um, and it only took you three years to figure it yeah, out. Right? I was such a, I'm a slow learner. <laughs> I barely graduated high school. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like it. Um, my guy, Mikey likes it a lot. We can actually go out there. Mikey and, likes it. Mikey likes You're it. You're not, are you old enough to know what that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, we, yeah, every Saturday. I love it. I'm excited about it every Saturday, unless when I look outside and it's raining. But it's fun. We go out there and we literally, I mean, we sell so much product and talk to so many people in a very short amount of time. Um, it's exciting. By the time I get back in the truck and we're loaded up, I'm completely fried. But, um, yeah, it's a, the, the farmer's market is a absolutely fantastic, cheap way to run commerce. And what they do at that, especially at the PSU farmers market, is absolutely incredible. All of them, Jared, the whole lot. That so that, why that that what makes there. it incredible? Well, it's huge. It's massive. I mean, think about it. It's an empty lot, and then within a matter of two hours, you have an entire city, you know, city basically, <laughs> and you're just packing in people. And then it's broken down, and then that's it. And then it comes back next Saturday. It really is quite amazing if you think about it. And think about all the people that are there that have that have grown the vegetables that have made the kimchi that have made the jams all the stuff that's going into it it's yeah it's incredible it's a lot of time and effort to go there for 6 hours and and blow it well many don't stay too they they graduate if that's a term no. because it's wonderful to be there but they'll they can only do it so long, and then that, that's a stepping stone somewhere People like somewhere Ruby else. Jewel, you know, I mean, the, you know, their company's exploded because of Farmer's Market. So who are some of the, uh, you know, I'm well aware of Adam Sappington. Mm-hmm. Who are some of the, the chef or restaurateurs in this town who are the best butchers? Mm, that's a tough one. Uh, well, it's not really tough. Uh, Jason French. Um, 
that has a real finesse with meat. I think Kevin Gibson, um, good. Um, Rodney. Um, yeah, he's got he's got a little something with meat over there. Got a little something going doing. on. Yeah, yeah. You know, we used to I used to eat his barbecue when it was low, and they were right down the street from Castagna back in the day, and I always thought it was good. I I love Padnas, love yeah. it. Love no, it's it. It, there's nothing else like it in town. Have you been to Davenport? I have been to Davenport. I went there three weeks ago. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've been there only once, and I I need to get back. Uh, he does a really good job. Kevin's great. Yeah. Um, so where are you hanging lately? Where do you, when you have time off, you, you and it's baseball season, you're not going to have much. So maybe no. I, we rarely go out. Uh, I mean, my all time favorite restaurant in the city is green door, but I'm kind of a, a Southern, um, redneck boy at heart. Um, I like to say, I like Podna's but people in town, usually Toro, maybe just cause it's a family thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that's, a, that's, Probably the first place I go when I have people in town. Yeah, it's easy, you know, and it's it's so consistently good all the time. John's got it's fun that with thing a lot nailed of people, down because you totally. can almost order everything on the menu and just. And it's not that expensive. No. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then most of the time, basically, we just get a lot of Asian soup, you know, boba and we, and um, you know, any kind of pho up on eighty second. I eat a lot of lunch when I'm off, but um, going out not so much anymore. You got a kid, it's kind of fussy. It's like. Eh. So uh, when you go out with your with your kid, where do you go? Um, we'll take him everywhere, as long as it's not What's your too. What's son's name? Did you Waylon? Waylon. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll take him everywhere. Like Waylon Jennings, W A Y L O N. Exactly. Okay. Um, we'll take him everywhere as long as it is, if it's not too fancy. I don't want to um, piss off the rest of the diners, but uh, w- yeah, like places like Screen Door and stuff are absolutely perfect. You got to immerse. Well, you got to wait at Screen Door with a child. That's not that's not the optimum experience. Yeah, that's fine. He's he's cool. Do you have ins? Do you trade? Do I you have... trade some like you can get in here if we can get into Tasty and Sons. Is that uh, no, but you know, no yeah, one wants to do that in this town. No one wants oh. to do the New York thing. Like, we, hey, I'll make a deal. Uh, you know, I would tell you that I know a lot of guys that get. You know, the the cool thing about working in this town. And the fact that everybody is so, um, it really is a cool community. And everybody, I think, for the most part, gets along with one another. Um, cooks will always take care of other cooks. That's, you know, it's one of the perks of not making any money, you know? So, yeah. Well, you got to get it somewhere. Got to get it somewhere. Well, thanks. <laughs> Eric, you know, most of our conversations, honestly, have been at the farmer's market a couple of times when you've been busy. So mm. we really haven't had the opportunity to sit yeah. down and talk. And um, this was a great opportunity to do that and i'm really glad that uh we had a chance to have a chat thanks Thanks for having me thank you for coming it's great appreciate it well eric was uh it was nice of eric to come and he was quite articulate even though i i think he was probably a little nervous yeah i don't think he's done this he admitted he was but he you would never you'd never know you'd never know i admire that because when i get nervous i make no sense whatsoever. I make no sense and I don't even have to be nervous <laughs> on a normal day <laughs> yeah. no I thought it was it was you know obviously he's he knows a lot about his business and he puts everything into it he does everything he wears every hat yeah. as well as being the manager of the business and I know that's always the bane of every food uh, any, any chef's existence or anybody who's got a retail business he has to do the he has to do that end of it too yeah it's it's if nothing else, the common theme throughout all these episodes is you have to wear so many hats. You're not just 
a creator, but you are a business person as well. So, you know, all this talk about deli meat. What is your what is your favorite like? My you know, favorite sandwich. Your, your favorite deli meat, like uh, you know, throw any diet precautions out the window. Your go like <laughs> fantasy. Oh, okay, I'll do that. Well, no, I mean, well. All right, I'll have to suspend. I'll have to you know really get creative here to throw diet precautions <laughs> out the window. No, I um, I the best way to go for me is uh, is what I generally end up ordering, and I usually will gravitate towards a roast beef sandwich and that's why i love oh the rare roast beef. rare yeah. roast beef i mean that's what i like the most and honestly i like it on a on a good hard roll east coast style hard roll which i new seasons actually has a good one um and on butter i mean with butter with rare roast beef pretty thick and salt no horseradish or anything? No, 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 no. Why why screw up a delicious thing with extra all those extraneous flavors Got it. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't like some of the more interesting sandwiches, and I love, I love the mortadella at Lardo. That's one of my favorite sandwiches, so I like that too. But hands down, as a guy who's been ordering sandwiches for a couple of years, roast beef probably are sandwiches I've ordered the most. Yeah. How about you? I love mortadella. I love, 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 and I think it stems from. <laughs> from my uh, mom buying pimento loaf, you know, like the salami with the with the pimentos and the olives and like the Oscar Mayer yellow package. And we had that around growing up. It is so wrong for you <laughs> as a Oh, as you, a you want to get into what's wrong and what we eat. No, I mean, but I, I like mean, Oscar Mayer uh, liverwurst. But, I mean, I'll eat that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, <laughs> but... If I'm standing there at the deli case and I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it because I'm you know day to day turkey sandwich kind of boring, but I love a mortadella sandwich. Have you had Lardo's mortadella? I have had yes yes okay, I have. Okay, because I was gonna take fantastic. you there right now for that. <laughs> if I had because hadn't. you got my mind on it. Oh no yeah no I I love it. It's just it's I don't know. Some people find it very it's you know it's so bologna like and but I just I love it. And Eric was saying. Uh, before we started recording, that it's labor intensive, that it's and, and it also is very popular and it, goes, it goes fast. Really fast. Yeah, yeah. So you're you, not the only one. No, no. There's a lot of us out there. Who uh, I wonder if there's a lot of pimento loaf people too, because <laughs> if that's in my mom's fridge, I'm going for it. Like it's just you know, well, put it in your own, you so know, you don't have, have to. You don't have to leech off your mom's. <laughs> no, because I don't, I will Food not budget. buy it. I will not buy it for myself. Oh well, come on! You I draw get, the line. You gotta get you, you gotta get your family going in the right direction. More <laughs> yeah. So uh, absolutely, go down. Have you been down to the farmers market to see Eric? Because he's always there. You know, don't get me started on the PSU farmers market. Okay. Well, there are others too. I mean, Beaverton. I don't know where else. Well, he, he was is. saying, you know, he needs to open up. You know butcher shops. He'd love to see more butcher shops. I would love to see it too because that's all we have in in the suburbs is is new seasons and whole foods and actually lovely butchers there who will talk to you and you know ask you how you're going to cook something and advise you and that sort of thing but i think there is something very sweet and and um retro about talking to a, a, a small producer butcher uh, and you get a level of service that you're just not going to get 
anywhere else. And I wish I wish we had one out where I live. But um, but I do I I do you know go by City Market quite a bit, and so I have to remember to stop in. That's there. a great place to stop in. I'm, I'm, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's just and it, it's easy to jump in and jump out. And there are some other good. You know, Laurelhurst is great too. Mm-hmm. They do a great job over there, and of course mm-hmm. Olympic provisions, but. Um, it was really nice to talk to Eric, and I really, you know what, I love the fact that he's he's talking about other butcher. He, he wants to see more butchers in town. I just love that. I think that's, uh, you know, a great thing about this city, that everybody's rooting for everyone else. And I know that, um, you know, he's friends with a lot of people who support him, and, and he supports others, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Eric. Thanks for coming on.